Revelation this year. I promise I'll start it eventually. Um, and we've, we've talked about scripture, we've talked about race last week, and this week we're uh, on Right to Life Sunday, we're talking about abortion. Now, I, I feel the emotions of this issue very differently now than I have in the past. Um, in the past, I was speaking about it uh, theoretically uh, to people I didn't know. Th there are followers of Christ in this room who have had abortions, uh, electively or medically required or medically required abortions. There are people who have been pressured to have abortions in this room. There are people who have pressured other people to have abortions in this room. Two years ago, a guy came up to me after uh, the service on Right to Life Sunday who was visiting, I don't even remember who he was, and he came up to me and he said, I've just confessed to my wife of 50 years that I pressured the girlfriend before her to have an abortion. Did God punish us because we never had any kids? And so here are two visitors. She's dumbstruck and in total shell shock, and he's weeping. And I, I'm just like, welcome to Redeemer. You know, like I don't even know what's happening. There's real guilt and shame. There are people excited Roe v. Wade is overturned, and then there are people conflicted about how it happened. There are people concerned about what happens now, especially in cases where the mother's life is at risk. Some of you might be pro-choice, uh, or you say things like, I'm pro-life, but I would never take away the women's right to choose. Maybe you don't like the political figures uh, involved in the, the decision and the ruling, and it has hardened you in particular against conservatives because you don't like the way in which it happened. And there are people who, honestly, you just haven't thought about it. Uh, and th this was me for a long time. You just haven't thought about it. What, the, the word abortion doesn't appear in the Bible, so why... Why should we talk about it? And so I feel a sensitivity to this issue because I'm not talking about theoretical situations. I'm talking to you. And you can talk back to me, hopefully not during the sermon. But, and I'm not here to promote a political party. I, I don't care about that stuff. I'm here to submit myself to God's word, whatever it would say, for my good and accept it. That's it. And so I just want to hear from God's word. What does God's word say? And then as a Christian, so if you're a Christian, you know, God's word says whatever it says. And because whatever it says is good for me and because it's good, I'm going to just accept it. Now, we all know from being a Christian, sometimes we don't read God's word that way, right? We read God's word this way like scissors. And let me cut around and skip that passage. How many of you have read through the Bible in a year and wished you weren't reading that chapter? Abortion lives on. You know, even though Roe v. Wade has overturned. I find this surprises people. Do you know the United States is actually the outlier in the world on abortion? We are one of 10 nations out of 195 that allow abortion after 14 weeks. 10. We are one of four nations that allow abortion at any time during the pregnancy. Do you know what those four are? Canada, United States, China, and North Korea. In other words, for all of our arguments about what abortion is and uh, pro-life, you have to at least admit we are an outlier. We are on the margin. We are on the edge. We are the radical ones. The number of abortions since Roe v. Wade has been about 68 million. That is the population of Kentucky, Oregon, Oklahoma, 
Connecticut, Iowa, Mississippi, Arkansas, Kansas, Utah, Nevada, New Mexico, West Virginia, Nebraska, Idaho, Maine, New Hampshire, Hawaii, Rhode Island, Montana, Delaware, South Dakota, Alaska, North Dakota, Vermont, Wyoming, and Illinois. It's a few people. Jane Rowe's real name is Norma McCovey. 1969, she's 22, divorced, homeless, and pregnant for the third time. The first two children have been given up for adoption. She goes to an adoption agency. Now think of how evil this is. She goes to an adoption agency, and they connect her with lawyers who want to challenge the Texas statute. She meets with the lawyers for beer and pizza while she's pregnant. And the second time, she's asked to sign an affidavit, which she never reads. She does not want to have an abortion. She wants to, she doesn't even know what it means. She, she writes that she thought it was about flying a plane. To speed up the process, she said she was raped. She wasn't. And she heard about the ruling in the newspaper. The baby had already been born and put up for adoption. After this, she goes downward. She works in an abortion clinic. One day, she's walking through a playground and it's empty. There's no children playing on it. And she realizes this playground is empty because of me. And so apparently she becomes a Christian and pro-life. One in two black women have had abortions in the United States. One African-American preacher says between 1973 and 2002, black women had had 10 million abortions. That's 35% of the population. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was a straight-up racist. She founded the Negro Project. Her goal, Planned Parenthood's goal, was to reduce the black population in the United States. And her legacy is that she, Planned Parenthood has reduced it by 35%. Four out of ten people who've had abortions say they are evangelical. One out of three women in the U.S. have had an abortion by the time they are 40 and it's not just an American issue. In China, there are 118 boys born for every 100 girls. The girls are being aborted, and it's impacting their culture. But just let this land on you in the United States. One out of every three women you meet has had an abortion before the age of 40. And so we go to the Bible. We will be all over the Bible. This is topical, not through just one passage. And I'm just going to say three, three things to take away. One, a mother's womb holds a person who has value and dignity. A woman's womb, a mother's womb holds a person who has value and dignity from Scripture. Number two, there's a, there's a constellation of issues that we can't ignore. And three, there is healing for anyone who wants it. All right. Okay. Mother's womb holds a person of value and dignity. We read it. Psalm 139. Now, abortion choice advocates with the religion co religious coalition of uh, reproductive choice and Planned Parenthood has contended the, the Bible says nothing about abortion. The word abortion doesn't appear in the Bible. One writer says, one thing the Bible does not say, thou shalt not abort. And so they argue because the Bible is silent, therefore we should be silent. Are they right? Now, Psalm 139, which now you can put back up on the screen, sorry, Aaron, for the bad cue, is written by David. And it's before he knew anything we knew. He didn't know that within two weeks there's a heart, and then there are hands, and then there are brain waves, and there are fingers, and at 12 weeks the baby can cry. He doesn't know any of, all, any of that at all. No videos, no pictures. And look at verse 13 formed, knitted 
in our mother's womb. Next verse, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We can rest on the fact, this is not like post, Hallmark postcard. Like everyone, when there's a new baby born, like you look for the Christian card, it's always Psalm 139, right? We are fearfully and wonderfully made. That is, God took delight to make you. He, he looked at you in your mother's womb and he said, I'm gonna do you like this. And he formed you. He delighted in it. You're wonderfully made. You're fearfully made. I remember my wife and I, we would read a little journal every day during the first pregnancy. It was like, man, they didn't teach me any of this in biology class. But every day we're reading the new thing that is happening over and over and over again as our children are knit together. And here we have, you, you are knit, you are formed. Verse 15, he knew you. You, you weren't hidden from God. He wasn't like, oh, wow, the baby's born. Now I know who you are. Oh, that's what you look like. It's one of the clearest descriptions of personhood, I think, in the Bible. You know, every argument of abortion comes down to really one question. And I've been helped to see it in this book called Case for Life. There are free copies out there. Please make some donation to the church because I just bought a bunch and it's not in the budget. So donate back so we can write it off somewhere. Uh, and if you want it for free, take it for free. Totally, totally fine. But some other people cover for them. During one debate, Scott Klusendorf, who's the author of this book, was with Nadine Strassman, the former president of the ACLU. And she begins the, the debate by uh, appealing to re reproductive freedom. To paraphrase, you know, it's about choice. You need to have a choice to choose based on your own uh, religious personal beliefs. And Klusendorf writes about this in the book. Men and women, I completely agree with what Nadine just said. She's right. Abortion is personal. It's private. It should not be restricted. She's right. We should not interfere. She's right. Pro-lifer should stay. I completely agree if, if what? The unborn are not human. And if Nadine can demonstrate that the unborn are not human, I will concede. Contrary to what people think, and the issue that divides Nadine and me, that she's pro-choice and I'm anti-choice, tr the truth is I'm pro-choice. I think women should have lots of choices about health care and her own school and choose her own husband and choose her own job and choose her own religion and choose her own career. Some choices are just wrong, like the innocent killing of humans. So the bottom line question is, in this argument, what is the unborn? Well, first, they're image bearers. In the beginning, Genesis 1, so God created mankind in his own image. In his image, God created them. Male and female, he created them. And then a few chapters later, when babies are being born, Genesis 5, 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image. That is to say, the likeness of God wasn't just on the first two, and then it didn't get passed down. The image of God was on Adam and Eve, and the image of God is then implanted on every child that is born after them. They are image bearers in the womb, Job 31. This is in part of Job's complaint. Did, he, did not he who made me in the womb make them? It's talking about other people. Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? In the womb. Third, God has a relationship with us in the womb, Psalm 22. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. You're a human in the womb and the psalmist says, you were actually my God before I was born. Jeremiah 1, thinking about being a prophet, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in my mother, in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. 
I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. When did Jeremiah become a prophet? Before he was born. Fourth, the unborn are called babies in scripture. Luke 1, this is probably the most famous one. Elizabeth and Mary come together. Their, birth, their pregnancies are both miraculous. And they come together. And Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting. This is Mary, the mother of Jesus. The baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the spirit and in a loud voice she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, blessed is the child that you will bear, but, but why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt. Notice the word, verse 41, baby. Verse 44, baby. Elizabeth, baby leaps and maybe you, some of you mothers know exactly what this is like when the baby leaps. Uh, I remember watching one friend get kicked out of her chair by the baby that she was carrying. She was like, ooh, poof, on the floor. <laughs> I don't know if that's what it was. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the word child inside the womb and outside the womb is the same. There is no distinction. So this entire question is, what is the unborn? And the answer is, they are human beings made in the image of God. The earliest writings of the church. So this is like 10 years after the book of Revelation. The Didache, listen to this. These are just rules Christians are passing down to each other. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not corrupt boys. I, I really wonder what that one means. You shall not commit fornication. You shall not steal. You shall not deal in magic. You shall not do sorcery. You shall not murder a child by abortion, nor kill them when they're born. Why? Because this person has value and worth. And honestly, this was diametrically opposed to the value system of the first century. Let me show you. June 17th, 1 BC. Here is a, just a random letter from a soldier, Hilarion, hilarious name, stationed in Alexandria in Egypt. He's writing home to his wife. Okay, so this is just, you know, just, hey, pick up the groceries type of letter. Listen to what he writes. Know that we're in Alexandria. Do not worry if all others remain in Alexandria. I beg and beseech you to take care of the little child. As soon as I receive wages, I will send them. If good luck, and good luck to you bearing children. If it is a male, let it live. If it is a female, expose it. As you told Epaphrodites, do, do not forget me. How can I forget you? I beg you, therefore, not to worry. You catch the middle statement like a throwaway statement? If it's a male, keep it. And if it's a female, expose it. Do you know what that is? That's give birth and leave it out and let the elements kill the child. That was a normal, legal, accepted practice in the first century. We would call that murder. How did that go away? How was, did that disappear off the face of the earth? Jews and Christians valued human life and they picked up these babies over time and loved them and cared for them. I mean, Aristotle, famous Greek philosopher, he actually gave directions on how to do exposure. And he wrote, if any child is deformed, let it be exposed. Why? Because the value of human life is what can they do and what do they look like, not on who they are because God created them. See the difference? Humans deserved protection. 
It wasn't about their ability to reason. It wasn't about their ability to be moral agents. It wasn't about the hierarchy of which they were born. For Christians, it was the view that everyone has the same worth. This is a view today still. Uh, Rome lives on in Peter Singer at Princeton University. He believes human rights are grounded in the capacity in which they can do things. Humans in the womb don't have capacity. They can't make choices. They can't live apart from their mom. And so he, he actually will argue. And it's not only that, after they're born, they can't make moral choices either. And so you, could, you should be able to legally take the life of babies after they're born, of anyone with mental, that are mentally handicapped, and anyone who is old and senile. If you believe in the pro-choice ethic, there, there's no reason not to go there because you're not grounded in the view that all human has life because God gives it value, not on what they can do, but on who they are. The Christians for 300 years cared for discarded children and in 374, Rome banned exposure, 300 years after Christ. They were champions of the outsider. They cared for women. They didn't force widows to get remarried. They cared for the poor and the weak. They were against abortion and infanticide. You know, maybe you've seen headlines uh, recently in European countries, like in Sweden. Sweden celebrated the eradication of Down syndrome children recently. And why? It's because their view of human life is grounded in the capacity for people to do things. If people are diminished, whatever that means, then they do not necessarily have the right to live. Let that sink in. If you don't believe in the image of God that humans have value, there's no way to argue any other way. And you, you know what? This is the view of countries. This is the view of medical boards. This is the view of Peter Singer. I know a mom who had a test for Down syndrome and the doctor said, so what do you wanna do now? Some of you know this, when Amy was five months pregnant with our son, Josiah, we had an ultrasound, we meet with the doctor and the ultrasound technician and they're like, your child, your child's hands, your child's feet, oh, look at that furrowed brow. Look, he's sucking his thumb. Oh, that's so cute, your child. And then, boom, the ultrasound stopped and they dropped that wand on his heart. And I could tell Amy was being upset, but I was oblivious and I thought she was overreacting like most men do to women in situations. I mean, have you ever said calm down and at work? You know? <laughs> it, husbands, you know. She, Amy knew something was wrong and I was wrong. And the doctor begins to tell us, well, there's a tumor on your child's heart. And they start running down all these scenarios. And then he turns to us and says, if the fetus is abnormal and that is a management problem for you, you have options. What happened? Your child, your child, your child. Now we can joke, maybe our children are management problems, but what are they offering? They're offering us the chance to take Josiah's life right there. These medical professionals who are sworn to protect life, the baby is only a child if we want it. This is why 
abortion is not a political issue. It's not a women's issue. This is a, not a child issue. This is a God issue. This is redefining what it means to be a human. If the unborn are not human, then this discussion is over. Listen, we know what we are doing. You want proof? In his little book, Greg Kugel tells the story of a baby named Rachel. Rachel is two months old. She is still six weeks away from being a full-term baby. She was born at 24 weeks. She weighed one pound, nine ounces. It dropped under one pound. She was so small she could rest in her dad's hand. She was tiny, living, and human. And heroic measures were taken in order to save this child. Now, she's a vulnerable and valuable human being. If the doctor came into the hospital, instead of caring for Rachel while she laid on her mother's breast and instead tried to kill her, that would be homicide. But if she was literally six inches away inside her mother's womb, at that moment, it would have been abortion and totally, completely legal. We know what we are doing. There are 38 states that treat killing of the unborn as homicide. Think of how schizophrenic our country is. There are 38 states that treat the killing of the unborn as homicide. In the state of Pennsylvania, 1999, a drunk driver hits a woman who's 33 weeks pregnant. She lives, the baby doesn't. He's convicted of what? Homicide. We know what we're doing. Our culture performs surgeries of children in the womb. We have children in this womb who went into surgery while in the womb. And in the door, in a room next door to this place where they can have surgery, they can also have their life taken legally. Think of how schizophrenic we are. We know what we are doing. Many in the pro-choice lobby often argue that abortion is terrible and we should work to reduce abortion. Does that seem odd? Why? Why is it terrible? If they're not human, who cares? We know what we're doing. To be made in the image of God is to have value. And whenever we decide to redefine what value is in a human being, we come up with all sorts of oppression and injustice. Whites calling Native Americans savages, calling African Americans property. Christians believe in human dignity, that all human life has value and is worth protecting. And so all the commands in scripture about the shedding of innocent blood apply to those who cannot cry out the unborn. So a mother's womb holds a person who has value and dignity. Two, there are a bunch of issues we gotta be honest about on this issue. Some of them are kind of in your face and others not so much. Issue number one, and this is kind of, sounds judgy, but it's not, sexual immorality. When we talk about abortion and trying to lower abortion, we have to be honest that 85% of abortions happen outside of marriage. So what are you supposed to do as a Christian? You want to lower abortion? Then you have to talk about marriage. You have to talk about sexuality. Paul's words, 1 Corinthians, this is just to Christians, flee sexual immorality. All the sins a person commit are outside of the body, but the sins they commit sexually sins are sins against their own body. I don't even need to explain that to you to know what that feels, what the feels are on that verse. What if you had a culture that upheld marriage, celebrated sexual fulfillment within marriage? 
What do you think would Christian, if just the Christians did that? What would happen to abortion? It would plummet. I mean, part of the consequence of the sexual revolution is that millions of babies have been aborted. That is, sin always requires sacrifice. And the sacrifice for the freedom to do whatever you want sexually is dead children. And once you break God's good design, you'll, and it's outside the confines between a man and woman, someone has to pay. Sin always demands payment from you. And the payment is the death of a child. Sometimes we read about the atrocities in the Old Testament. You read about them, right? Child sacrifice. And then you realize, man, Israel's involved in child sacrifice. You're like, we would never do that. What do you think we're doing right now? What do you think medical boards are putting their stamp and blessing on right now? It's only the weird fundamentalist Christians crying out for injustice. It's weird. The payment of sexual freedom is child sacrifice. And when abortion, you know, when abortion became legal, the argument was, well, the children will now be wanted. Ill illegitimacy will go down and large social problems will diminish because the children will be wanted and child battering will go down and women won't be stuck in forced marriages and they can remain in school and the workforce uh, and, and instead of being unexpectedly pregnant. Well, guess what? Illegitimacy went from 10% of children living out or being born outside of marriage to in black families, 70%. 33% overall. Now, I don't want to focus on women in particular. It's wrong. Virtually all states, anti-abortion states, treat women as victims. That is, they are being coerced most likely. And research has shown that most of the women's decision on abortion has to do with the man. Polls show women are actually less supportive of abortion than men. Why do you think that is? Because the cost for men to do what they want is to have abortion be legal. There was a story recently of an NBA player who got an OnlyFans model pregnant. She posted the exchange online, probably to exhort money from him. Shows him the pregnancy test. He writes, get an abortion, LOL. I'll send you money to help out. You got the money, what's the holdup? He had sent her $100,000. The cost of freedom is not freedom at all, it's death. We kill unborn babies because they stand in the way of the life we think we want. And those of us who've had children, we know that parenting is the joyful surrender, mostly unjoyful sometimes, of our time. I think about that ultrasound room with Amy. All the theological one, Psalm 139s, all the image of God, all that. Would I be willing to kill Josiah because he was a management problem? Would I reason that, you know, that care is really gonna impact my other kids? It's really gonna impact my life. I'm not gonna be able to do what I want. It really is a management problem. I need to take his life and I need to convince Amy to do it. Issue two is the government. Psalm 13, four. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring judgment on the wrongdoer. That is, the government is meant to be for our good. They're meant to protect us. And the government has laws. We have reckless endangerment laws. We have laws against stealing. We have laws against murder. We have laws against child abuse. And those are good laws. 
So let me push on you who might say things like this. I would never have an abortion. I am pro-life, but I think that you should have the right to make your own choice and be pro-choice. I remember believing that as a young Christian. And I remember saying it out loud, so proud, like I had somehow figured out the middle round, that middle ground that no one had ever thought of before. And the pro-life argument, they would love me because I'm pro-life. And the pro-choice argument would love me people because I understand their situation. Would you ever argue this? What if you lived in a country that said, our goal is to reduce slavery, but slavery should be legal for each person to decide. When the civil rights law was passed in the South, the majority of Southerners in 1964 opposed it. Two years later, the majority favored it. In Texas, when Roe fell and a heartbeat bill was passed, 60%, the abortion rate fell by 60%. What's going on? Laws teach. Laws have purpose. Laws are meant to protect. And apathy is not the way. Greg Cunningham, who this is for all of us, I'm speaking to myself, and he's kind of like sticking me with a sword here. There are more people working full-time to kill babies than there are working full-time to save them. That's because killing babies is profitable and saving them is costly so costly that the large number of Americans who say they oppose abortion are not lifting a finger to stop it. And those that do lift a finger, stop it, do so just enough to put solve on the conscience, but not enough to actually stop any killing. Apathy is a real danger. This morning I Googled abortion in Montana. Do you think Zoe Care popped up? Do you think any pregnancy research, or re, not pregnancy facility reached up pro-life? Zero, none. Zip. You know what popped up? A website, abortionfinder.org, which directed me on what to do before or after the child was viable outside of the womb. Here are the numbers to call. Here's the way to get around the law. Here's where you might have to travel to. Here's what you do if you're, if you're under 18 and you don't want your parents to know. That's what we're fighting. When you hear the pro-choice argument, are you silent amongst your family, your friends, your peers at work? Because you don't want to be labeled some fundamentalist conservative. You, you're not even a conservative on a lot of issues. You don't even want to be part of that conservative group. But on this issue, here you are, a Christian. You're like, well, I don't want to be tied to certain political people. Are you making excuses? Like in the, at the end of World War II, you know, when the, the Allied forces came in and they found all these Germans living around the concentration camps, just ignoring what was going on because they just didn't, wanted to pretend it wasn't happening. Now, issue three, quickly. There's a famous quip by Barney Frank. Do you ever remember Barney Frank? He was kind of fun. Conservatives believe life begins at conception and ends at birth. Is that true? That is, Christians are oppose abortion, but they oppose everything else in order to help these people. It's actually a lie. It's false. It's not true. Just to show you how crazy this is, pro-life Democratic governor, his first act in office was to expand Medicare. I mean, this is like not conservative policies. So expand Medicaid, provide 450,000 people who are the working poor with state health care insurance, adoption, and a statewide living age. Wage, sorry. He increased maternal access to all medical care. And when he signed the heartbeat bill that stopped the killing of children once there was a heartbeat, do you think he was celebrated by his party? He was not. 
And yet he had done everything they had asked. Evangelicals do more for orphans and foster kids around the world than any group anywhere. They advocate for healthcare access and education access, and they've advocated for making childbirth free. I mean, I know a church that wiped out the entire uh, list of kids waiting for foster care in counties around the country. They called the group and said, how many foster care kids left? They said 150. He said, we'll get back to you. Meeting three weeks later, 200 families show up. They take every kid off the foster care list. These things happen all the time. It's a lie. Of course, Christians care. Now, there is healing. Last thing. When churches ignore abortion, they don't spare post-abortion men and women guilt. They spare them healing. There are two sides of the coin on this, both about the mission of the church. What's the mission? Make disciples. Share the gospel. Make Jesus known. Hold out healing for people with the aid of the Holy Spirit. Transform their heart. That Jesus comes in the world to take the, take the judgment we deserve. And so, yes, God is judge. He will judge those who have let it happen. He will judge husbands or men. He will judge women. He will judge doctors. He will judge. He's a God of justice. He will, he will have justice for the unborn. He knows their name. He knows who they were and are. They cry out, that's innocent blood spilled. And yet the beauty of the gospel is no one is cut off from Christ because of any sin they've done. If you've had an abortion or you force someone to have an abortion, the gospel is Jesus goes like this to you and says, I'm offering you healing, I'm offering you healing. I mean, many who have walked the abortion road have walked it silently and by themselves. And that's the double tragedy of abortion. It kills the moms long-term. Consider Micah. Maybe this is a way out for you. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. Look what Micah is saying there. Yes, I have sinned. Yes, I'm under judgment. And not that God's gonna have a case against Micah, but God is actually gonna plead a case for Micah. That it, God's gonna come and rescue Micah from judgment. The only people who belong to Jesus are those who know this, that they don't deserve Christ. And when God sees you, he doesn't see your abortion. He sees his son and he looks at you and goes, I am well pleased with you. And as you walk with him, the word of God heals you over time. And this church, the outpost of the community of the redeemed is the place where you shouldn't find judgment because they too have said, I don't deserve Christ. We're called to honor people. We're called to value people. We're called to love people. And so if a young mom who feels trapped, pressured by her parents and her boyfriend walks in this room five months pregnant or is secretly pregnant, doesn't want to tell anyone because she thinks the judgment of God is going to come down on her in the church. And she thinks the only safe place for me is an abortion clinic. Then we've done it wrong. We've, we've said it wrong. We want to be a place that the people run to and we want the abortion clinic to be the place they run away from. So the mother's womb holds a person who has value and dignity. 
there are a bunch of issues, sexual morality, the government, what to do after a child is born, that we have to be honest about. And there is healing in the gospel for anyone who's been involved in this. Total healing. You won't get judgment from us. So may God give us wisdom to know what to do. If you need this book, donate and take it. And then if you need to talk to Zoe Care, there's the baby bottles. Fill it with change this week. Bring it back. All right, let's pray. Lord, we all know this is a sensitive topic, and I pray for anyone in this room who has silently carried uh, pressuring someone, encouraging someone, had one, performed one, um, and it was not for reasons to save someone's life. I pray that total healing would happen this morning, and may all of us not be a uh, people who are just so strident that no one would ever want to come to a church who is considering abortion, but that would be a community that comes with open arms, says, come, welcome, stay here, and be healed. In Jesus' name.